The story is told of a little boy by the name of Jimmy who, after Sunday school and church, went out to lunch with his family. And uh, as the food arrived, little Jimmy volunteered for the first time ever to pray, said, Dad, I want to pray today. And so obviously wanted to encourage his son's desire. His father said, okay, Jimmy, go ahead, you pray. So with heads bowed, Jimmy began, and he began to pray, and he said, Dear Harold, thank you for this day, for Mommy and Daddy, for Sunday school where I learned how to pray for this food. Amen. A big smile on his face finished, and as you can imagine, everyone at the table was a bit curious at Jimmy's address of God. Finally, Jimmy's dad said, Jimmy, um, I'm curious about, I, when you were praying, why did you call God Harold? He said, well, because that's his name, and he kept eating. He said, well, what do you mean that that's his name? He said, well, where, where did you learn God's name is Harold? He said, I learned it today in Sunday school. He said, Sunday school? He said, yeah, my teacher taught me. And he kept eating, and his dad was still curious. He said, your, your teacher taught you that God's name is Harold? And, you know, Jimmy's getting a little impatient. He said, yeah, Dad, that's what I learned today. He, go, he said, well, I don't understand. He said, you know, they, she taught us that prayer. I said, what prayer? I said, this, the, the prayer, Dad. Our Father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, and, I, and I, when I heard the story, I thought many of us are like little Jimmy. You know, we've been taught the, the prayer, that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We've memorized it. We've said it on numerous occasions. But the question arises, do we really know it? And do we really understand it? And as I've dug into it and, and examined the text in Luke 11 and a similar passage that we'll look at in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, you know, it became apparent to me that, you know, all the years that I've heard it, all the years that I've said it, all the years that, you know, I, that I thought I understood it, that I could probably spend the rest of my life studying it and never fully grasp the deep truths that are found in it. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's uh, turn with me once again to Luke chapter 11, uh, where we find the disciples learning how to pray. In Luke 11, verses 1 and on we find these words. And it came about that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me for, from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Don't bother me, the door's already been shut, my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? You know, the last time we were together, I mentioned that this passage is divided in uh, two dimensions. The first is the vertical dimension that focuses our attention on God, upon His character, who He is. It has us looking upward first and foremost. And when we're secure in that relationship and we understand who He is and who we are in light of who He is, then we can go to Him with our request, which is basically on the horizontal plane. So we're looking to God vertically and then horizontally. We look not only for our own needs, but the needs of one another. And so as this dimension is broken out for us, we've noticed a couple of things. First, that there is a priority that was addressed as far as prayer is concerned. Jesus himself is the greatest example. If the Son of God, if God in human flesh, if Jesus Christ himself prayed, how much more so should we pray who are to be conformed into the image of his likeness? And so as we consider the fact that Jesus prayed... He also tells us that John the Baptist prayed because he, he was asked by his disciple, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. And so there's a tremendous example of priority that's laid out. And you'll remember that Jesus said, when you pray. So there's an assumption there. There's an inference that, you know what, you're going to pray because God expects to hear from you just as a parent expects to hear from his child and vice versa. We are going to have that intimate relationship which leads to the personal nature of prayer. He said, Father, Abba, Dad, dearest Father, you know, our, our Heavenly Father, Dad. It, it, it was a word of endearment. It was a word that, that, re, that re, revolved around a personal relationship. You know, the Bible says for those who repent or turn from sin understanding that we are sinners, understanding that we're not perfect, not, not, not one of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory, that the, that the command of God is that every person repent, turn from sin and turn to God, recognizing our need to have God's forgiveness because we have all offended God. We come into the world sinners and we live the part. And everything that we do that's offensive to God is just an indictment against what he already knows about us to be true. We're born into the world with a congenital birth defect called sin nature, and that we have to have resolved. And the only resolution comes at the foot of the cross. He says, turn from sin, turn to God, trust what he says, that Jesus Christ was sent into the world. He gave his only begotten son to die on the cross, that whosoever would believe in him, his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection shall be saved will not perish, will become a child of God to those who believe in his name. The, the question obviously is this, have you turned from sin and turned to God and thrown yourself upon his mercy for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you trusted that Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only for the sins of the world, but more specifically for your sins, my sins? God, Jesus died for my sins, and I believe that. I believe he rose again from the dead. And the world looks at it, and the world says, that's foolishness, we don't understand it. But to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Because they understood the sacrificial system. I was watching a program last night, and I don't remember what it was, a travel channel or whatever, and there was a Dinka tribe in Africa. And they had a sacrificial system. And they believed that they had to offer a sacrifice or shed the blood of an ox in order that their prayers would be heard by God. It's fascinating to me that cultures all over the world understand to offer a sacrifice. We do it even in our culture where we don't think about offering a, a blood sacrifice. But if you think about it, you know, Mardi Gras and and, and that last big party before the Lenten season takes place is that during Lent, 
many people believe that they have to offer a sacrifice to God in, in, in order that God would re- forgive their sins. We give up this or we give up that and we've got to make some type. We have to make amends because we know in our hearts that what we have done is wrong before God. But God has said this, you know what, you can't do it. It's by grace you're saved through faith that God offered the ultimate sacrifice. He trained the nation of Israel for generations and said the only way your sins can be forgiven is that you have to offer a sacrifice according to what God says should be done. And they would do exactly that. They would bring a lamb, unblemished lamb. They would bring turtle doves. They would bring grain offerings. They would bring sin offerings. They would do it exactly as God said because that was what they knew from God. Would, would, in order for them to be forgiven by God, they had to offer a sacrifice. That's exactly what they did. To the Jews, Jesus was a stumbling block because they wanted a conquering Messiah. They wanted one who was coming into the world that God promised would would, uh, abolish all the enemies of God, all the enemies of Israel, establish his kingdom here on earth. They always argued about who was going to sit at the right, who was going to sit at the left, and yet he was a stumbling block. And Jesus said, blessed are those who don't stumble over me, who understand that it's God's way and God's will that will be done. For those in Israel, they understood if they put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost of the house, the angel of death would pass over their house and go to those who said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. We're not putting blood upon the doorpost of our house. And those people who did not do it the way God said suffered the consequences accordingly. He said, if you don't do it, your eldest son will die. And they said, well, you know what? We're going to do what you tell us to do. And they put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost of the house. The angel of death passed over. They understood the sacrificial system. What God is saying is that all of the sacrificial system was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, there is no forgiveness of sin without the the shedding of blood. That Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, for all who would believe in him, and put literally the the the, the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of our heart. God, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense scientifically. It doesn't make sense medically. It doesn't make sense in any other way except you said it, and therefore that's what makes it right. It all comes down to what? Authority. Think about it. The thing that makes the world go round is authority. No matter where you work, no matter where you live, no matter what country you live in, it's the laws of the land or authority. It's the the rules of your company or your manager or your boss. They say, these are the rules. And I've dealt with, you know, not only business, but also sports teams throughout the last 20 or some years. And every team has different rules. What makes one rule right on one team and wrong on another team is the fact that these are the rules on this team. God in the ultimate authority says, these are my rules and you can't go anywhere in this universe to escape my authority. This, this is the way it's going to be. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the power of his resurrection is the only way that man will ever find forgiveness and redemption with God. It says you either believe it or you don't. Those who do become children of God. Those who don't are already not children of God, children of the enemy, children of the devil, and they will die in their sins. You will either live or you will perish in your sins. And so when we look at this, we see that the personal nature of of prayer is that you and I who have turned from sin and turned to God and have trusted in His remedy for our sins, God, we believe what you say. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus Christ died on the cross. There isn't anyone who will argue that in human history. They all know of an historic Jesus of Nazareth who died on the cross. And they, they also know, and no one's ever been able to disprove it yet, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
And he was seen alive, not only by those who followed him, but as many as 500 witnesses at one time. Jesus Christ is alive. And it was God's validation or proof that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And that he who believe in him, you who believe and I who believe in him, will have life because he has life to offer us. The personal nature is that when you come to faith in Christ, you become a child of God, and now you can go to God, and you can boldly approach the throne of grace, not because there's anything good in you or me, but because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we can now take our request directly to the throne room of God, and the Bible says we will find mercy in our time of need. And as Jesus teaches us this pattern of prayer that we come to in verses 2 through 4, we see that as we look at this, we're told that, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves have already forgiven those who are indebted to us. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, it reveals a similar pattern for prayer with some distinct differences. And as I mentioned, I believe the differences were designed by God to make us aware of the fact that this is not a formula for prayer. The power is not in the repetitious words that often are used in a culture that says, well, pray this prayer. Pray 20 of them, and that's even better. Pray 40 of them, that'd be better than that. Pray 100 of them, you know. Pray this without ceasing, as if there's a formula or magic in the words of the prayer. And what we're finding is, is that Jesus distinctly shows some differences in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And when we combine it, we see a very clear evidence of the fact that this is designed by our Lord to teach us to pray remember his disciple didn't say lord teach us a prayer he said teach us to pray not a prayer to pray repetitiously but to teach us how to pray we don't know how to pray i don't know how to pray i don't know how to communicate with my wife yet alone communicate with god I mean, think about it, and, and, and you know, and, and, and that's not because she's hard to communicate with, it's because, you know, we're, we're just different, you know, she's different than I am, and I'm different than she is, and anybody who's married can say right now with a clear conscience before God, I know what the guy's talking about, <laughs> amen, preach it, brother, we're going to go down the side road here, no, we're not, we're coming right back, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, we, we just know we can't communicate with one another, well, that's not what I meant, but that's what you said, but I didn't mean what you think that I said. Well, if that's what I heard, well, then you didn't hear right. And on and on it goes. And so think about how much more difficult it is now. Oh, it's like, well, if I can't talk to, we can't talk to one another, how do we know how to talk to God? And so he teaches us this pattern for prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, we see that, and starting with verse 5, notice this. He says, and there he goes again. And when you pray, assuming again that we will, uh, when you pray, you're not to pray as hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. What he was warning is to say, you know what? Don't get hung up on what other people are hearing. So many times when we pray in public, we're more concerned about how did my, how did my prayer come on? You know, did I do okay? It's like, well, well wait a minute. And if we're praying, we're communicating with, with God. We're communicating with our Heavenly Father. We're communicating with Him. And all prayer is directed to Him. It's not a show for one another. And yet I know people that are just deathly afraid to pray in public because they're more concerned about what people will think about their prayer than about what God thinks. All prayer is directed to God. And if anybody ever says, did I do okay? They say, you know what? I don't know because you weren't praying to me. You were praying to God. 
And if your heart was right before God, you did okay. See, don't get hung up or worried about what other people think. You know, I know people that, you know, they got to pray in King James, and, you know, and they, they, they go on in this flowery language, and it's like, you know, and, and, and I don't want to judge their hearts or what their intent is, but sometimes I wonder, you know, is that a show for the crowd, or is that how you really talk to God? And if it is, then praise God, and, and you pray any way that you want to pray, but don't get hung up on it. And Jesus said, don't, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites that are more concerned about what other people are thinking than they are what God has to say. But when you contrast, when you pray, you know, go into your inner room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in, in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay. He said, hey, you know what? Make a commitment to pray when nobody else is listening, when nobody else is looking, when it's just you and the Lord and, you, and that personal time that you have with, with, with your father, with your God, with your creator, with the one who redeemed you from your sins and spend time with him. He goes, you know, and, and then, you know, your father who sees in secret will reward accordingly. He says, and when you're praying, don't use, here we go, meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Notice this. What's wrong with repetition? They suppose because of their many words that somehow God hears their prayer. And that's not the case at all. He says, therefore, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And it's so important to understand Scripture in context because we're going to go back to Luke 11. We're going to find out we should be persistent in prayer. And yet here we're told that, you know what, God already knows what we need even before we ask Him. Well, then why do we have to, you know, why do we have to ask Him? If He already knows, then why do we go to Him? And so we really struggle with this whole idea, this concept of, well, God, if you already know everything, you already know my needs. You know everything about me. You know when I rise. You know when I get up in the morning. You know when I go to bed at night. You know how many hairs are on my head. You know what all my needs are. You already know that. So why, why do you want me to come to you and ask you? And yet he does, and that's what we'll look at. So therefore, he says, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now we go back to Luke chapter 11. And what we'll do is we'll put both of these together and we'll come up with a pattern for prayer. And as we see here, there's a clear recognition of God's character, his position over all things, our Father who art in heaven, a God who is in control of all things. We've seen throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus' power over all things. He's truly able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. So therefore, because I know he is above all things, I know it's not a question of God's ability. When I take my request as we get to them to God, I know it's not a question of whether he can or not, because he can do all things. The question then comes down to, what is his will? What is he willing to do? What is the purpose? What is his plan? And as we look at this, we see his purity. Hallowed be thy name. His name should be revered in all that we do. His name should be lifted up or exalted. We should lift him up before men. And Jesus says, if you lift me up before men, I will lift you up before my Father. We should exalt his name. We should praise him. And so as we do this, we see, hallowed be your name, hallowed be thy name, reverenced or revered should be your name through my life in the situations that I'm going through. And he goes on to say, your kingdom come, thy will be done. 
So as we look and recognize the character of God, we put all of this together, and it's a, it's a collage, it's a piece, it's a puzzle that we put all together, and we've got a piece that we can understand in the vertical dimension, and that is this. True prayer, prayer that honors God, always involves honoring His name, His kingdom, and doing His will. And what that means basically is this. The purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. That has to be the fundamental purpose of our prayer. Prayer is not telling God what we want and then selfishly enjoying it. Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what He wants. So think about this. Number one, so that His name is glorified and exalted before men. Number two, so that His kingdom is extended meaning folks will come to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins through the circumstances of our life or that we build the body of Christ up, we build up or equip one another for the work of of ministry, we encourage one another, and at the end of the day, God, your will be done. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you right now, my life, I mean, everything that I've ever planned, everything I've really wanted to do, you know what, doesn't even come close to what God has done in my life. I mean, he has taken me in directions that I never could have conceived were humanly possible, and he has brought me to where I am today. And you know what? He's done a really good work in my life since I bowed my knee at the foot of the cross and trusted in Christ as my Savior. He said, you know what? Now I've got a plan for you. Before the foundation of the world, I have a plan for your life. And so if you're willing to put your will aside and follow me, watch what I will do through your life. And what an exciting, abundant life that it will be. See, some of us are frustrated. We're discouraged. We're, 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 you know, we're tired of the meaningless uh, routine of this world. We're bored. We're looking for purpose. And what he's saying is, you know what? I will give you purpose if you just set aside your will and trust in me. If you will follow my leading and you will use the gifts that I've given all my children to glorify my name, you will, you will experience a life that you never dreamt was possible. It will be so fulfilling, so abundant, it will not be bored. I mean, I hear people say they're bored and I go, what? How can you be bored? Man, I, I'm just like, I'm loving life. And, and, and as a personal illustration, the, the, um, you know, the types of prayers that I have prayed recently are kind of like, you know, Father, you know, as I, as I ride this cancer coaster, I'm asking him questions. Am I exalting your name before men? Am I, you know, are sinners turning to you for hope because of your presence in my life? Because of the hope that they see in me? Are they turning to you for hope? You know, are believers strengthened and encouraged by your presence in me and and by this example of how your grace is sufficient in our times of weakness? God, you know, is this true of my life? You know, as we pray, we must test all of our personal requests when we get to the horizontal by these overruling concerns if we expect God to hear and answer our prayers. This past week when we were in Tempe at the Angels Spring Training Facility, you know, I had more opportunities through this battle that we're going through with cancer to lift up Jesus than I have in seven previous seasons probably combined. 
there isn't a person that I spoke to that rushed through a conversation that wanted to talk. They sat and looked me in the eyes and said, how are you getting through this? And it was a wonderful chance to share with them that, you know what, but it's, it's, a, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. When you have trusted in Him and you know that you're a child of God and you know the goodness and the righteousness of God and you understand that everything that He does is for His purpose, for His glory, to lift up His name. And I thought, wow, you know, isn't this a wonderful thing to have cancer in order that people will listen to the gospel? And I really, and I really mean this. Now, do I like it? No. I mean, it was like, I, can't they listen any other way? You know, and apparently not. It's like, ah, you know, so, but, but at the same time, I recognize that every person that I met, every person I talked to, and God gave me favor with people that never would give me the time of day who would come up to me and say, how are you? You know, and, and it's funny. It was like, and we're praying for you. Oh, that's interesting. You know, and, and, but it's, but it's a wonderful opportunity. And so, you know, as I thought about all of that, the, the point is, while my will would be that this cancer is, is gone, that it goes away, I'd be healed, God's will is that I use it in the meantime to lift him up, to exalt his name before men, to revere him so that people know who he is and that he's a good God. You know, and they can get all the questions they want, but what if he's a good God, then why do you let you have cancer? Hey, you know why? So I can tell you what a good God he is. Because you'd never listen to me otherwise, but now I've got your attention. You know, it's a wonderful truth. Is this kingdom being extended through the circumstances in your life? Are people coming to faith in Christ because they see the hope that is within you in the circumstances of your life? Whatever those circumstances are. The difficulty in your employment, the difficulty in your finances, the difficulty in your health, the difficulties that we all go through. You know, don't be, you know, Jesus said, hey, don't be so shook up in this world. You'll have tribulation. But don't sweat it because I've overcome the world. That the suffering of this lifetime is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. It's a speck against the dot of eternity, the backdrop of eternity. You can suffer and live for 80-some years of your life, but compared to eternity, it's, 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 a, it's a vapor in a mirror. It's a, it's a blink of an eye. It's nothing. Are people coming to faith in Christ because they see Christ living within you in the midst of these circumstances? Are you encouraging other believers that when God says His grace is sufficient, you can tell them firsthand that His grace is sufficient? I sat with one of the radio announcers up in the radio booth. No one else was around, and we talked, and he'd been coming to chapel for a couple of years. And he said, how's your family getting through this? He said, same way that I'm getting through it. God's grace is sufficient in our time of weakness. Now, we're all dealing with it differently? Probably so, because all of us are at a different point in our walk with the Lord. But we all recognize and understand that, you know what? God's in control. And so we use it as, as an opportunity to to draw men to Jesus Christ, to equip and encourage the saints that, you know what, don't sweat it because when your day comes in whatever way that will be, that our God is sufficient. We can comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 1 says, with the same comfort which we have been comforted in our time of affliction. It's going to be okay. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's a good God. His will will be done. 
Every time I think of that, I think of Nebuchadnezzar after seven years of insanity and mowing the lawn with his teeth. You know, being, you know, doing his John Deere tractor imitation. And I think of when he finally came to his senses. You know, he stood up and he, he raised his hands before the God of heaven and says, Surely now I know that you are God and that your purposes will come to fruition and that no one will thwart your plans or your purposes. Your will will be done. And we take comfort in that. Why? Because we know we'll never die a day sooner. We'll never live a day longer than it's been appointed for us to die. Do we go through a process in the meantime? Yes, we do. But we have a peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that, you know what? No doctor can mess it up. We can't get bad advice. We listen. We get counsel. We make decisions. But at the end of the day, no one will kill us before it's our appointed time. And no one will keep us alive longer either. And so it's just the way that it is. God, you know what? You're in absolute control of everything. And we're in your hands. And what a great place to be. Amen? Amen. There we go. So as we look at this, we begin to recognize. And as we see this, we realize that, you know what? That God, we see everything. He is in control. And so as it, it, we must never separate any of these things as we're going through it. So the question as we go to the next point is, are you willing to use the unique platform that God has given you to exalt His name, to turn sinners to Jesus, and encourage other believers, and to be resigned in the fact that God's will will be done? And if so, you'll have a peace in the midst of those circumstances. See, so how do we know... What I just shared is God's will. It's a fascinating thing because I got a letter this week based from a man who was, you know, very kind in the way that he wrote it. But at the end of the day, the bottom line was this, is that it's not God's will for his kids to be sick. And so the only reason I have cancer, the only reason you're sick, the only reason any of us are ill is because we have sin in our life, unconfessed sin. And it's a direct result of something that we have done wrong. And I read that, and, I, and I'm saddened by that, because the reality of it is, is that we know God's will because He reveals it in His Word. And His Word reveals very clearly that there are many times that we'll suffer and we'll be persecuted, we'll be afflicted. Paul himself, the great prophet himself, or the, the great apostle Paul himself, had an affliction in his flesh. He had a, a fleshly disease. It wasn't in his spirit, it wasn't emotional, it wasn't mental, it wasn't psychosomatic. He had a, 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 an affliction of his flesh. And so I'm comforted by the fact that, wow, you know what? While we'll examine ourselves to make sure that whatever is going on in our life is not a direct result of sin, which is a possibility, we also know that there are times in our life where God will allow us to be afflicted. Why? So that we can exalt his name before men, so we can encourage one another with the same encouragement that he's comforted with us, so that we know his will will be done, and we're comforted in all of that. And so the question is this. You know, what, as we pray, how do we know how to pray? Well, there's only one way to know how to pray, and that's we need to know God's Word. Because the problem that people have is this. I have seen in the last 20-some years of ministry, people do things that are wrong before God and have justified it by saying this. But I prayed about it, and this is what God said was okay. Really? You did? I prayed about it. I've, I've talked to many people who have married unbelievers because they prayed about it and this was God's will for their life. I said, no, it's not. 
Because the Word of God says, what fellowship does light have with darkness, with the unbeliever, with the believer? There's, of, of God and Satan. There's, there's no way in the world that God answered that prayer. You know what? The enemy may have answered that prayer, and basically, you know, you're, you answered that prayer for yourself because each person, when he's enticed, is enticed by his own lust or his own desires. Simply put, you wanted to marry that person, and you didn't really care what God had to say about it, so don't slap his name as a validation that what you're doing is right. We hear this on a regular basis. I prayed about it. God said it was all right. Marrying an unbeliever, sex outside of marriage, living you know, with, with, with a person outside of marriage. You know, and, and, and it's like, and you go through all of these things. I, I had a person who was in one of my Bible studies who left his wife and three children because he prayed about it. And you know what God's answer was? He wanted him to be happy. And that's why he brought this other woman into his life. And it's like, you know, I bend over so I can just drop kick you as far as I can. It's like, where do you come up with this stuff? You know, oh, but I prayed about it. So what? We, we, we just had in our company a guy who called on Friday, gave us two hours notice and said, um, you know what, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to take another job. I'm going to get paid more money for just a temporary job. But if that job doesn't work out, is it okay if I come back? And, uh, and, and my partner Dave's like, uh, no, I don't think so. But, and, and you know what the guy said? He goes, well, why are you doing it? He goes, well, I prayed about it, and that's what God told me to do. And then he said this, I don't pray that much. I've only prayed probably three times in my life, but every time I pray, God tells me what to do. And he's like, what? But that's the world we live in. I mean, you know, we laugh about it, but it happens all the time. It's just a regular thing, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, selling, doing drugs, you know, all of these things. It's like, and I've heard people justify all of it by saying, but I prayed about it and God said it was okay. You cannot separate the Word of God from your prayer life. You cannot ask God to, to give you things that He have already expressly forbidden. He will not violate His Word. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and His Word is eternal. It doesn't change. That is why our culture is so messed up because we are buying into the lie and, and, and the strategy of the enemy is always to call into question the word of God. We've got religious people who are being quoted about their opinion of same-sex marriage and they come out and say, well, you know what? Jesus is all about love. You know, Jesus is all about truth. Jesus is all about love and truth, and they're not mutually exclusive, but they are inclusive, and they go hand in hand, and you cannot separate them. And you cannot say, I believe this part of God's Word, I don't believe this part. I believe this book in the Word of God, but I don't believe this chapter in that book upon the Word of God. I don't like the sections that tell me things that I don't want to hear because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I don't care. Period. We need to call it what it is. Sin is sin. It's a rebellion against the authority of God in our life. And we need to know God's word because we cannot separate our prayer life from what he has revealed in his word. And that's why so many people are so confused because they are buying into the lie. You need to spend time in his word so that you know how to pray. Don't waste time asking God to do things that he has already expressly forbidden. He's not changing it for you or me. There's no exception clauses. He's, he's got a standard that is perfect and is righteous. So as we look at this and we see this pattern for prayer and we see a recognition of God's character, we move now to the request that we should bring to God. And the first request that we bring to God has to do with our daily provision which is, give us this day our daily bread. That has to do with our present need. 
It is that, you know, that God would meet our need today. You know, this goes back to, if you want to look at the history of Israel, go back to Exodus 16, verses 11 through 21. And every day that they got up when they were in the wilderness, God gave them their daily bread. And the daily bread was, hey, you know what? There's a couple million people out in the middle of the desert. As we were driving to, uh, to Tempe, uh, I had my son and my grandson. My grandson's about eight and a half years old. And we were driving. He's looking out. And we're, you know, halfway between uh, um, Indio area and uh, the next stop really is Blythe. And he looked out. And he's looking around. He's going, you know, Papa, it's like, it's like we're, we're in the desert or something. <laughs> Picked right up on it, you know. Swimming in the same gene pool. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and, and, and then I, and I thought, wow, you know, can you imagine, you know, a couple million people wandering around in the desert going, hey, what are we going to eat? And every morning they got up and they depended upon God to give them their daily bread. And he provided it from heaven and that bread that came out of heaven was symbolic because Jesus later would tell us that he is the bread that comes from heaven. But that bread was symbolic that God was there to meet their daily need. And he said, just gather enough for today. And if you start storing it up, it's going to get all rotten and mildewy. And there was a whole bunch of problems that happened when they started to try to hoard and store things. And what he was teaching them was this. You and I need to depend upon God daily to meet our needs. Daily to meet our needs. When my partner and I first started our company 12 years ago, every stop that I would make, every sales call that I would make, before I would even get there, all the way in the car, I'd be praying, Lord, please allow me to find favor in the sight of the people that we're going to meet with. Please allow us to find favor and give us an opportunity to show them that what we can do. God, please give us this job or this contract because we don't have any work. We don't have any daily bread. And it, was a, it was, and, it, and it wasn't, you know, a ritual and it wasn't, you know, anything other than, you know what? It was a, a cry out of need. It's like, God, we're, we've used up our savings. We're living off of that. And you know what? We need to get work and we need to get it quick. And you know that, but I'm going to ask you anyway because I already, you already know it. But I'm going to tell you, hey, help me. And there wasn't a time that I wasn't consciously aware of the fact that he gave us our daily need. And then as time goes on and as a company begins to grow and as you begin to, you know, have a good reputation and aren't we good at what we do and look at the backlog that we have and look at our customer base. We got, you know, we're, we got a solid customer base. You know, we want to diversify a little bit. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, you know, all this stuff and you're doing all these things and it's like, wow, you know, we're really good at what we do and we got this backlog. We got a year's worth of backlog of work and all of a sudden what? You know what? I don't depend upon God for my daily need because we recognize that we're really good at what we do. And that is just a sin before God. Because you know what? If we don't find favor in God's sight, we don't have any of that. And so my challenge to all of us is this. We need to depend upon God for our daily needs. Just as Israel, when they got up, said, Lord, we need food today. And here it came raining out of heaven, manna. Here's your bread for today. Here's your substance for today. Here's all that you need for today. You know, God wants us to pray for our daily needs and not our daily greeds, by the way. He tells us to pray for bread, not dessert. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and, and you know what? In our culture, that means a lot because, you know what? Because God wants us to be fed. He wants us to be clothed. He wants us to have housing. But when it comes to all of those things, we have a huge, huge differing, uh, maybe difference of opinion than God as to what food it is that we should be eating, what clothes we should be wearing, and what kind of house that we should be living in. 
And in Matthew 6, he says, you know what? We need to be content and satisfied with whatever it is that God gives us to provide for those daily needs. One of the sweet realities of our prayer life is that God cares about the simple day-to-day needs of life. He cares whether we're warm, we're fed, we're housed. He cares about even all the other things. We don't have to just bring big things to Him. But whatever it is in your life that's important to you, then take it to God. It's not a comparative thing. You know, I got people come to me and they'll say, you know, and, and you know, and they, it's like, I'll ask them, how you doing? And, and then they catch themselves because it's like, you know, they're going to tell me about their cold or their allergy or, you know, their eye watering or, or whatever it is, you know, and they catch themselves and they go, oh, you know what? Oh, you're going to win. You got cancer. <laughs> and they kind of, you know, and I'm like, well, hey, look, I'm, you know, I mean, it, whatever it is going on in your life, if it's if important to you, it's important to God. It's important to God. I mean, just as a father knows that if my son falls and he, and he skins his knee, that, you know, he hurt his knee and, and a skinned knee, it, he needs comforted in that skinned knee just as somebody does who needs, you know, the needs to have their, their leg reset that broke it. I mean, comfort isn't, you know, it isn't minimized or maximized. It's, if you need it, it, we're here to get it. And so is God. Whatever our needs are, we take it to Him because it glorifies Him. It honors Him. It pleases Him when we take our requests to Him. But I've always had that mentality. I'm just saving up the biggies, you know. I don't want to burn them out on all the little stuff. You know, it's kind of like this human, this human thing that we have where it's like we don't want to burn up our favors asking for things until we really need something big. And, and I, I've had a total misunderstanding about my God, my Father in Heaven, who wants me to bring everything to Him. Because he cares for us. He loves us. He's there for us. When you pray, say, Father, who art in heaven, your name is revered before men. Your kingdom will come. Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, today, Lord. Give me what I need today. I'm going to do a message. I don't know exactly when, but something that God's really impressed upon me because I, I've been asked so many times, you know, how, how do you get through today when you have something looming over your head tomorrow. And all I can say at this point, because I, I've got a message that's already outlined and coming, is this. You know what? We live in the present because the present is God's gift to you and me today. Just live in the moment. We don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We don't worry about yesterday. You know, all things are past. You know, all things become new. We live today. Today is the day of the Lord. We're to rejoice and be glad in it today. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, we need to see God's involvement in every area of life. And as parents, I will challenge you to teach the truth to your children and to your grandchildren. That God is there for their every need. I love this true story. A man writes, he said, we had a lovely couple in Dallas a number of years ago. He sold his business at a loss, went into vocational Christian work, and things got rather uh, tough financially. There were four kids in the family, and one night as they were all together, Timmy, the youngest boy, said, Daddy, do you think Jesus would mind if I asked him for a shirt? He said, No, I'm sure he won't mind. In fact, why don't we write that down in our prayer request, and we'll keep a journal of it. And so she wrote down, the wife and the mother wrote down, one shirt for Timmy. And she added, size seven. You can be sure every day Timmy saw to it that he prayed for the shirt. He prayed for a shirt and he prayed for a size seven. 
After several weeks on a Saturday afternoon, the mother received a telephone call from a clothier who uh, had a store in downtown Dallas and he had a, cl- a clearance sale. And he said, I just finished my July clearance sale and knowing you had four boys, it occurred to me you might be able to use something we have left over. Could you use some boys' shirts? And she said, well, sure, what size? He said, size seven. She goes, absolutely. How many do you have? He said, I got 12. So she went down and picked up 12 shirts, size seven. Prayer time. Little Timmy comes in. They all gather around. It's his turn. God, still looking for a shirt. Praise. There you go. The mom and dad, wanting to teach him a lesson, sends one of the other brothers out of the room, comes walking back in, lays down the shirt, size 7. He leaves again, brings another one in, size 7. Does it 12 times, stacks it up. Now, if you're little Timmy, you're sitting there going, whoo! You know, you're thinking that God just went into the clothing business. And he stacks up, they stack up 12 shirts in front of him, And his eyeballs are this big. And he learns a very important lesson about the sufficiency of his God. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. It's not a question of his ability. It's a question of his will. Little Timmy left that table today having a much bigger view of his God than he ever had before. And he recognized that God cares about kids, little boys that they get shirts, and that they're size 7. I don't, I don't know what you're struggling with, but we got a God who cares about our every need. Our every need. And we need to go to Him with those needs because we bless Him, we glorify Him, we honor Him when we go to Him because He knows, we know, He cares for us, and he wants to hear from us, not just for the big things, but our daily bread, our daily needs, and he's interested in all of them. It's probably the most pertinent lesson that we in our culture can ever hear because we are deceived into believing that somehow if we accumulate and we can somehow or another accumulate and put it in our portfolio, put it in our savings, put it in our retirement, put it in our stock accounts, our bond accounts, our whatever it is. If we can do these things, then we'll have security. And let me tell you something. There's nothing in the Word of God that'll teach you and me that our security is in those types of assets Our security is in Christ and in Him crucified and in the power of His resurrection. Our security is in God. Don't you ever falsely believe that your security is in anything on this earth because the Bible says that if your security is in money, it'll take wings and fly away. If your security is in trying to amass riches so that you can lean upon those riches, the Bible says that you will wander from the faith and be pierced with many a pang because you have put your trust and faith in something other than our God. 
If your security is in building bigger barns, a bigger business, a bigger company, so you can turn it and sell it someday, and then you'll have retirement, God says, you fool, today your very soul is required of you. If you're going to put your trust in anything, put your trust in him. Put your hope in him. There's an additional thing that I want to get to before we break this into a three-part message. And that is that um, when we think about our present considerations, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, there's another aspect of this request, and it's basically this, give us this day our daily bread, and it's a request for the spiritual bread of eternity. And let me explain this and put it all together. Because when we're praying that God would meet our needs today, we're not only just praying for our needs of today, we're praying literally that the, the phrase means that, we would, that God would give us this day our bread for tomorrow, pointing to something in the future. When you look at this recognition of who God is, he says, you know what, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's an eternal state. There's a day that's coming where Jesus will take his stand here on this earth, will establish his kingdom, and his, his will will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven and throughout all of the universe. His will will be done. And so when we're praying this prayer, you know, those three preceding petitions of the Lord, all of them, when you put them all together, that is his, you know, his name will be hallowed, uh, revered. It'll be revered once and for all. His kingdom will come. It'll be established on this earth. His will will be perpetually done. You know, it follows that the bread of tomorrow is eternal. And the third thing that as we go through scriptures, Jesus continually used one symbol to refer to this eternal state. And it was of a great feast or a banquet. He's saying there's a day coming where all of God's people will have a feast or a banquet in the presence of the, of the Lamb. And he's saying, you know what? Let me have a taste of what's to come today. Give me a taste of the future, a taste of the eternity. Why? To get me through the grinds of today. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame. The motivation of Jesus to endure the cross, if you saw the passion of the Christ, and you go, you know, why would God ever endure such hostility from men? We, we're told that he endured the hostility and it, because of the joy that was set before him, that he came to accomplish what God had, uh, had always promised from the beginning of the world, and that is redemption. Fallen man could be redeemed once again to God, that we could be a member of God's family once again in full fellowship with, God, with Christ's righteousness clothing us. And he endured the cross, despised the shame for that joy that was set before him. It is finished. He came to accomplish that which he accomplished. It is done. It is finished. He has accomplished it. He has opened the pathway so that fallen men can be redeemed to the God who created them. And he did it because he saw the future. He endured that present pain for what lies ahead. You and I need to have a taste of the future so that we endure the, the pain and the hardship and the heartache of today. We know how it turns out. We know what to expect. We know what God has before us. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but don't worry about it because I've overcome this world. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what you're going through. And the wonderful thing, though, is I know God does. And if you go to him and take it to him, he hears our prayers. He hears your prayers. And he gives you hope. And he gives you joy. And he gives you peace in the midst of your circumstances so that you can exalt his name before men, so you can encourage other believers to they will recognize that God's grace is sufficient in our time of weakness. And then we're content that you know what God your will be done 
Your will be done through my life. And the greatest truth, as I mentioned, of this bread from heaven are the words of Jesus himself in closing where he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We are to ask God for our eternal as well as our daily provision. We're to ask him for our eternal as well as our daily provision. And that eternal provision is found in Jesus Christ and in him crucified and in the power of his resurrection. Have you trusted in him? Are you a child of God to those who believe in his name? Then take every request that you have before the throne room of God and you will find mercy in your time of need. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we love you because your word tells us you first loved us. We don't even have the capacity to love until you have poured out your spirit into our life, those who have trusted in you. God, as my prayer is always that those who are not sure of their relationship with you will turn from sin, recognize their need for your forgiveness, Respond by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ, his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, and receive him as their Lord and Savior. God, we who have trusted in Christ have been adopted into your family, and your word tells us that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Dad, dearest Father, you know our every need, you know our every want, you know our every desire. And your word tells us if we commit our ways to you, that you give us the desires of our heart because they'll be in tune with you. God, we thank you for your word that reveals your will so that we can know how to pray. God, may we only pray for those things that will extend your kingdom, that will draw people to Christ, that will encourage other believers. And may we always be resigned, submitted to your will being done in our life. God, even your apostles said that they were willing to drink of the cup that you would drink, that you would require their very lives as a testimony of their faith and trust in you. And God, I guess the question is, are we too willing even to die, to give up our own lives so that others will come to faith in the only Savior the world will ever know? For there is no other name given to men under heaven by which men can be saved than Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We praise you. You're a wonderful, you're a good, you're a righteous God. And whatever happens in our life, we know that you have ordained it for your purposes and for your glory. May we be obedient in the midst of those circumstances that you can use that as a platform and testimony to draw men unto yourself. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.